Let's have our Bible reading, and our Bible reading will be taken from Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10 and verses 1 to 14. We won't be actually studying this in relation to the message, but it does have to do with the message in all. Hebrews 10 verses 1 to 14. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereof perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered because, excuse me, the worshippers once purged should have no more conscience of sin. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Therefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sins thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do thy will, O God. Speaking of the Lord. Above, when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offerings for sin, thou wouldest not, neither hast pleasure in them which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering often the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, speaking of Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. And you could read the rest of that wonderful chapter, speaking of the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wonderful work, a complete work, a work that certainly does a lot more than the Old Testament sacrifices did, which could never take away sins. They covered the sins and didn't take them away. They were also looking forward to the death of Christ that his blood atoned and took away sin, cast them as far as the east is from the west, Buried them in the depths of the deepest sea. And so we look back at what the Lord did. They look forward. And our sins and their sins are now being taken away. So praise the Lord for that. At this time, we're going to have a song, which is hymn number 126, Rock of Ages. And you follow along and sing along with this hymn. Well, I trust you enjoyed the bit of singing, even if you were in tune or couldn't hear you or out of tune. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Today we're going to look at this Easter Sunday morning, the thought of this man. This man. There's a lot of things happening in our world today, a lot of changes that we're going to have to get used of if, if we continue down here. In these times, churches need to focus more on the gospel, preaching and building each other up, building godly families, 
building up the church than ever before because we're drawing near to meeting the Lord. I read this, it was found in an article I read this week. The greatest pandemic disease is not coronavirus that has killed thousands or influenza that kills 500,000 per year. This virus has killed 100,000 this year to this date. It's not tuberculosis that kills one and a half million per year. The greatest pandemic on this globe is sin. The sin virus that we inherited from the first Adam. For as by one man sin entered in the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. This virus is 100% fatal. The good news is there is a cure. There is an inoculation, as we say down here in, on earth. A, good, a, a cure from this deadly virus of sin is found in the saving blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son. And this is what Easter is about, where God's Son was offered as our sacrifice for sin, to cure once and for all the problem we have of being separated from God and the sin that we have that separates us. The great physician has 100% success rate for those who come to him by faith. For without faith you cannot please God. He that cometh to God must believe that he is and is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. The wages of sin is death, and that's eternal death. Much worse than the death and the problems we face with this virus. But the gift of God is eternal life, through Jesus Christ our Lord. The proclamation of this cure is the chief business of God's people today to spread the gospel, to build people up in their most holy faith. We are ambassadors for the great physician, the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other saviour and no other salvation for the Lord Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There's only one way. It's not through a pastor, it's not through a priest, it's not through a preacher, a deacon. It's through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can be allayed of our fears of eternal death from the virus of sin through the accepting of the Lord Jesus and his finished work. This man, the Lord Jesus, has paid the price. And if you've got the outline up there somewhere on the web, you can follow along and listen as well this man let us pray before we look in the word thank you heavenly father that we today can trust in your finished work through your son the lord jesus christ that we can have eternal life through faith in him and this promise is sure it's forever we have eternal security as we've looked at over the past few weeks and i pray that everybody listening today would have this man the lord jesus as their security, their saviour, their sovereign, their Lord and their master. Lord, bless the word as we consider through the scriptures where this little phrase is used, this man, the Lord Jesus. And may we take something away from the message today that will build us up in our most holy faith. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a little phrase 
but we find it throughout scripture and often little things like that, little words. The word until, as I've been reading through the Bible, I keep putting the verses that have that word in there because it gives us some pointers of what's going on until. But here, this man, this man, let's first of all turn to John's gospel. We'll turn to John's gospel and we'll go to chapter 7 of John and verse 46. John chapter 7 and verse 46. We read there, The officers answered, Never spake man like this man. The officers answered, Never man spoke like this man. Here, there was officers sent from the high priest and the Pharisees to take the Lord Jesus captive. And they were so enamoured by what the Lord Jesus said in his conversation that they forgot to take him. They dared not take him. And the, they were questioned by those that sent them, why didn't you bring this man? <laughs> well, never a man spoke like this man. So said the officers. And this has to do with this man's conversation. In Luke 4 and verse 22 we read, And all bore him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. They wondered at the gracious words that proceeded out of his mouth. This man was the Lord Jesus. This man was the eternal son of God. And his conversation was perfect. He was able to refute all opposition that came against him in his conversation and answer every question. In Matthew 13 and verse 54, we read, And when he was come into his own country, he taught them in the synagogue, insomuch that they were astonished and said, From where hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Don't we know him? Doesn't he work down there at a carpenter's shop? Is, he, is his not mother called Mary and his brethren James and Joseph and Simon? He had three, three half-brothers there and Judas, four. And his sisters, sisters at least two, are they not all with us? From where then hath this man all these things? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honour, save in his own country and his own house. And so his own brethren and the people around that knew him, the families around there in Nazareth were saying, what, What's with this man? We know his brothers, we know his sisters, we know his parents, but his conversation is so powerful. And they were offended. They didn't believe on him. Even his own family didn't believe on him. Eventually did, but early stages, no. So this man and his conversation. This man and his compassion. This man and his compassion. In Luke chapter 15 and verses 1 and 2. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. Aren't you glad he receives sinners? Are we not all sin? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we see the compassion of this man, the Lord Jesus. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He does not want anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. 
this man, the Lord Jesus, had great compassion on sinners. Now, <clears throat> here, this man receiveth sinners. This man receiveth publicans. Now, we think of a publican as a fellow that works in the pub. But a publican in the day of the, of the Lord Jesus was a person who was a Jew who worked for the Romans collecting taxes from the Jewish people to give to the Romans. And so he wasn't a very liked man. And many times he would double the price to make profit for himself. And they were saying, this man, the Lord Jesus, is a friend of publicans and sinners. But aren't you glad that the Lord Jesus is a friend to all, all who are sinners and need salvation? In Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 14, Matthew 14 and verse 14. Notice here the compassion of the Lord Jesus upon the multitudes. Matthew 14 and verse 14. We read there, And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude, and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. In chapter 15 of the Gospel of Matthew and verse 30, and 32 we read and great multitudes came unto him having with them those that were lame blind dumb maimed and others and cast them down at Jesus feet and he healed them insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb to speak the name maimed to be whole and the lame to walk and the blind to see and they glorified the God of Israel he had great compassion upon them he was concerned for them. In verse 32, And Jesus called his disciples unto him and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they continue with me now three days. They were so intent on listening to the wonderful conversation, the words of the Lord Jesus, that they hadn't eaten for so long. And, and the Lord had compassion on them for their physical needs, their spiritual needs. That's our Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew nine thirty-six to 38, he had compassion on the multitude that were scattered and faint. He had compassion in other portions in Matthew 18, 11 and 13 on the one sheep that went astray and he went after that one sheep. If you're the lost sheep, he, he has compassion on you. In Matthew 20 and verse 34, he had compassion on two blind men that called out for, for him to heal them. And the multitude said, keep quiet, keep quiet. They wouldn't keep quiet. Because they knew there was a man that would have compassion on them. And one of the others that the Lord had compassion on was Zacchaeus. In Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 and 10, we haven't time to look that one up. But in Matthew 19, 1 to 10, it talks about a little man, the wee little Zacchaeus. Couldn't see the Lord, so he climbed up a tree because the Lord was to pass by that way. And he's looking down and the Lord looked up. And the Lord said to Zacchaeus, I must abide at thy house. Now, who was Zacchaeus? He's one of those publicans, one of those tax collectors for the Roman government. And people didn't like him. And that's why people looked at the Lord Jesus, the religious people, the, the, the toffee-nosed ones, and looked down and said, how dare he go? He calls himself the Son of God and he goes to be a friend with sinners. Uh, he came to call sinners to repentance. Not the self-righteous people who think they're okay. They won't repent. They won't get saved. But he has compassion on those that are down and out and need, 
need him. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, we read there, <clears throat> 4 and 15 of Hebrews, For we have not a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. That verse you might think, well, I was saying he doesn't have compassion. It's the opposite to what you think. <laughs> he does, as a high priest, have compassion upon us. The third point, and we find this in Luke chapter 23 and verse 41, where the Lord is said to be this man, 23 and 41 of the Gospel of Luke. And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. Thinking of the conduct of this man, the Lord Jesus. This is the thief that's dying alongside the Lord Jesus on the cross. To start with, both thieves were casting accusation against the Lord. And saying, you know, get us off here. Get us out of this situation. But one thief woke up to himself and realized he was in the same condemnation. And he, he's telling the other thief to be quiet and stop saying those things about the Lord Jesus. Because he said, this man in his conduct has done nothing amiss. As it says in that verse 40, 41. We receive, he said, the due rewards of our deeds. We've been robbers. We've done what we've done. We deserve what we're getting. But this man has not. In his conduct, he was perfect. He's done nothing amiss. We have for ourselves here... A great high priest in Hebrews 7.26. For such a high priest became us, was needed for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners and made higher than the heavens. You see, this man, the Lord Jesus, was absolutely sinless in everything he said, everything he did and everything he thought. His motives were perfect. So in his conduct, he could become the high priest that we needed for our salvation. Over in the epistle of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21, we read this, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ our also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. And then verse 22 of 1 Peter 2, Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bore our sins in his own body on the tree. You see, this man in his conduct was perfect. And the proof of that perfection of the Lord Jesus throughout all his life is seen in that God the Father raised him from the dead because the sacrifice was acceptable to God. A perfect sacrifice because this person, the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus, was perfect in his conduct. In 2 Corinthians 5 and 21, we read, For he hath made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. He took our sin upon himself and he gave us his righteousness that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Huh. This is something that the Lord did and could do because he was sinless. So we see his conduct, his compassion, his conversation. This man, let's go to our fourth one where we find this, these two words used, this man. In John's Gospel, 
chapter 11 and verse 45 to 48. There we read, Then many of the Jews who came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees, the old religious people, the self-righteous people, the people that reasoned that they were the best, but they were the lostest of all, and told them what things Jesus had done. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees to counsel and said, What do we do? For this man, for this man doth many miracles. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him. They were jealous, they were envious that the Lord Jesus was getting a following and they weren't. This man's going to have everyone following him. If we let him, let him continue and don't stop him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. This man doth many miracles. Let's think of this as his career. This is the career of the Lord Jesus. He went about doing good. Matthew 11. In the Gospel of Matthew chapter 11, we have <clears throat> there where the Lord is... Um, has been questioned by the disciples of John the Baptist. And they were asking, you know, or he, he, the, John the Baptist said to them, go and ask, are you the Messiah or do we look for another? Are we looking for someone else or are you the Messiah? Because John was in prison. He thought, this is not the way I thought things were to go. And in verse 2 of Matthew 11, Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent to his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he? That should come, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said unto them, Go now and show John again those things which you do hear and see. And here's the list of the, the, the things that the Lord did in his, as it were, career in his life. The blind received their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. John Do you need any more testimony to the career of the one? Is he the one? Ah, John, yes. John realised, yes, he's the one. Who else can do this? Who else was doing this? Nobody. His career proved that he was the son of God. This man, this is the man that does many miracles. In the Gospel of John in chapter 21 and verse 24, the last two verses of John's Gospel, we read this. This is the disciple who testifieth of these things, speaking about John, who wrote the book of John, and wrote the things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did in his life, in his, as it were, career. If they should be written, every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. That's what it says in the end of John. If we said everything, if we put included in the Gospels, in my Gospel, the Gospel of John, the things that Jesus had done, even the world could not contain the books that he did. We only have a portion of what he did in his career. This man doth many miracles. <laughs> Fifthly, in John's Gospel, chapter 7 and verse 15, 14 and 15. We read this. Now at, the, at about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up 
into the temple and taught. And the Jews marvelled, saying, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? You see, he didn't go to one of their schools. He didn't go to one of their rabbis and be taught by them. How knoweth this man, who worked in a carpenter shop in the unknown town of Nazareth, we know it, it was an unknown town. Can anything good come out of Nazareth, one said? But his comprehension, this man had a great comprehension for the things of God because he was God. He was the son of God. So the Jews marveled and said, how knoweth this man? I wonder if people look at us and say, how, how knoweth this person all these things about spiritual matters? You know why? It's because you've been in the word that you're able to have that testimony. The Lord Jesus was in the word, saturating himself in every spare moment to be in the word, memorize and meditate upon the word. Let's go to the Gospel of Luke chapter 2 and verse, verse 46. The <clears throat> family of the Lord Jesus, Joseph and Mary, had taken the family with Jesus in tow to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover this weekend that we celebrate the, the, the Easter. And uh, they come in a great group. They all come together and they all go home together after, after the weekend of Passover. And as we were travelling up the road, the Lord Jesus was missing and Mary, Joseph... Where, where's our son? He was 12 years old at the time. Where's our son? Oh, no, we've left him in Jerusalem. Uh, none of us would do that, would we? Well, I think each of us have testified, if we've got a few children, sometimes we leave one behind at a place. We've left uh, one at church sleeping after the service. And, oh, no, what have we done? Where's number four or two or whatever? Three. But here the, they, they realised they'd left their son uh, back in Jerusalem. And we read in verse 46, And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors. Now, not the doctors, physicians, as we know, but the doctors of the law, the doctors who studied the Old Testament, both hearing them and asking them questions. And, at the, and all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. How old is he? Twelve. Boys and girls, you can get into the Bible and know it, just like the Lord Jesus did. At 12 years old, he was asking and answering questions. His comprehension was so great of the things of spiritual matters. You only get that comprehension if you want and desire and hunger for the word of the Lord, like the psalmist did in the Old Testament there. Book of Psalm, particularly verse uh, chapter 119. And so his comprehension was great, this man's comprehension. How knoweth this man letters? <laughs> hey, we don't need the approval of men. We don't need the approval of doctors and all these highfalutin educated folks. We need a knowledge of God. We need the right motive to study the word, to know God and to seek him out. <clears throat> In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 22, right through that chapter of Matthew 22, the Lord Jesus has been bombarded by the brains of the day. They're attacking him, trying to bring him down, trying to embarrass him, him publicly. <clears throat> and so the Herodians come along. The Herodians 
were the royalists. They, were, they didn't mind that Rome ruled over them and took the governance off them. Herodians were Jewish people who were royalists. They asked him questions. And then came along the Sadducees. The Sadducees were people that didn't believe in the resurrection. They were the rationalists. They were the ones that said if a man, uh, <coughs> a woman marries a man, he dies and then he has, she has seven more of them, marries them because they all died. Whose husband, who is the real husband when it gets to heaven? And the Lord Jesus said, you don't know the truth of the word. They don't have marriage in heaven. <laughs> and the Lord put them in their box. The Sadducees, the rationalists. Then there were the Pharisees that came in this chapter and asked him questions. We haven't time to look at all of it. They were the ritualists. They were the fundamentalists of the day. They were the religionists. They were the ones that incited the mob to crucify this man, the Lord Jesus. And uh, there in verse 34 to 46, then you have the scribes come. You see, each one of them was sent to try to trick the Lord in his understanding and comprehension of the word of God. But each one of them went away embarrassed. In verse 22, let's look at a few verses there. For when they heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. They were speechless. They had no answers to the answer the Lord gave. In verse 34, but when the Pharisees heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. They had their crack at the Lord. And then in verse 46, and no man was able to answer him a word Neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions uh, put in their box. They're put in their place by the comprehension that Jesus had, this man had, of the Lord Jesus. How knoweth this man these things? He was the Son of God. He knew these things. He was a living word. We must move on. <laughs> There's so many things he comprehends. He, he even knows how many hairs are on your head today and how many less there will be tomorrow. Or if you're young, how many more you'll have tomorrow? And in Psalm 139, he knows everything about us. Read it. Psalm 139. Wonderful chapter. We look at the sixth place that this word, this man, or this phrase is used in John's Gospel and chapter 6 and verse 52. We have there written, The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They were revolted by the thought that Jesus said, eat my flesh and you'll have eternal life. You know, I am the bread of life. And they were thinking physically and not spiritually. And verses 46 to 60, where the Lord Jesus is saying, eat my flesh, drink my blood. And when you think it in a physical sense, you say, oh, no, I'm not a cannibal. That's not what the Lord Jesus was saying. We have in 1 Corinthians, where we usually celebrate today at Easter, this morning, chapter 11, where the Lord instituted his table. And it says in verse 24, And when he had given thanks, that is the Lord Jesus, he broke it, the bread, and said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. You see, we partake of certain elements that are just bread, unleavened bread and grape juice of, off the vine. And we remember, they only serve to help us to remember. They don't turn into the body and blood of the Lord. We have certain religions that say that 
transubstantiation happens. That it's transferred when the priest or the preacher prays for it. No, it is not. It is just the same element that it was before he prayed. And we, it serves to help us to remember consubstantiation is that we, it's uh, speaking metaphorically about the flesh and blood. And the elements are symbolic only. In John 1.14, Jesus said, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we beheld his glory. The Word was made flesh. The Lord Jesus was made flesh. And we remember when we celebrate the Lord's table that this happened and that he died for us. His body was broken for us. His blood was shed for us. In 1 Peter 2, 2, we read, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that you might grow by it. The sincere milk of the word, you see, is partaking of the Lord Jesus through partaking of the word of God. And so his claims, he's given us his flesh to eat, his blood to drink. His blood atones for our sin. His body was broken that we might be saved, bruised and battered in all manners and whipped and spat upon and slapped and speared that we might have life. Yes, his body was given for us. And the last, this man that we find is in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 12. In the midst of verse 7 to 14, where we read our reading this morning. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin this man one sacrifice for sin not all the multitudes of sacrifices over the millennia forever sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool his job is done his work is finished he cried on the cross it is finished he fulfilled the volume of the book he fulfilled all the Old Testament prophecies he said it is finished the payment has been made. My blood has been shed. I give up my spirit. <laughs> the sacrifice for sin. He's forever now seated. It's finished. The only time that we have that he's risen off that seat was when he received the first martyr, Stephen, into heaven upon his martyrdom in the early church there. Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And verse 24, he is seated. He, this is his conquest in this claim of this man. He's, con, he's defeated death. He's defeated the devil. He has the keys of death and hell. He's won a wonderful victory for our salvation. And this is, he's been raised from the dead. He ascended up to heaven in Acts chapter 1. And the disciples looked as he went. And now he's seated there in heaven until he makes his enemies his footstool. And folks, he's not far away. He's going to be victorious. And then in, in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, there it says in verse 24, Then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom of God and even the Father, when he shall put down all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death, something that men fear, death. Then what? For the Christian, huh, it's just a gateway into glory, death is. Promoted to glory, we say, of Christians that have died. 
For he hath put he hath put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted from this rule, as it were, who did put all things under him. That's God the Father that put all things under the Lord Jesus. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son himself be subject unto him, God the Father, that put all things under him, Jesus the Son, that God may be all in all. His conquest. He is victorious. He rose from the dead. He's seated on the right hand. One day and one day very soon he's going to come and the world will groan. Oh, no. <laughs> Israel will groan. But we look forward to that victorious day that is coming. We need to, in the meantime, look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Why did he endure the cross with joy? Because he saw into the future. He saw that multitudes would be saved. Many would sons would come to glory through the finished sacrifice that he was offering there. In bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering the Lord Jesus the captain of our salvation in Luke 9:35 it reads there came a voice out of the cloud saying this is my beloved son hear ye him this Easter hear ye him this man is the most important man that ever walked the earth and one day will come again to receive the honor and glory due to his name and he will receive us unto himself in the book of Isaiah, it tells us when he was suffering. That's the suffering chapter, Isaiah 53. He shall see his seed. In his suffering, he will see the seed that will be coming to him. The, the people that believe by faith on him. And it says he will justify many. He bore the sins of many. He wants to bear your sins. He bore your sins. He wants you to confess him as your Saviour, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. What a wonderful Easter it would be. You can remember the coronavirus, but more wonderful is that you can remember this is the day that I believed on the Lord Jesus. This is the day I gave up religion for reality of faith in the Lord Jesus. This is the day that I was born again. To enter the kingdom of God, Jesus said you must be born again. Didn't say go to church. We can't. It's empty. No. Didn't say get baptized. It didn't say to take, take the, the, the sacrament or it. It said believe. Confess and believe on the Lord Jesus. Won't you come to the Lord Jesus today? At this time, we'll have a closing hymn. Before we do, we'll pray. And the closing hymn will be 138 Christ arose. Thank you, Lord, for, the, for this man. <laughs> the most wonderful man that ever walked to this earth, that gave himself for our sins, that we might be with him as his seed, as his children, as his sons, forever and ever, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Christ arose, what a wonderful thought, now seated, waiting in heaven to receive us unto himself. We give praise and thanks in the name of this man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.